Amen. Good morning, everybody. How are you today? Good. It's kind of like cool weather, nice for sleeping, right? Some of you noticed I broke my Nazarite vow, <laughs> cut my hair. Um, whew. Okay. I, I didn't want that. Okay. So <laughs> we're going to be in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We got through the hard stuff. We're moving on to some of the good stuff that's uh, really beneficial for us. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers will get you one. Anybody need a Bible? All good? Everybody brought their sword? All right. I like it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. So what time is Christmas Eve service? 6.30. Is there going to be Sunday service? Okay. You guys are good. Second service doesn't listen at all. <laughs> Don't tell them that. They can edit that out of the... Okay. Okay, are you there? Say amen. Okay, let's read. We're going to look at um, verses 1 through 5 today. I've entitled the message, God is Faithful. Can I get an amen? amen? God is faithful. So let's read verses 1 through 5, chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians. Paul says, finally, so he's wrapping this letter up. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly. Your Bible might say with free course, running swiftly and be glorified just as it is, it, just as it is with you. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Father, thank you for this uh, great portion of Scripture, Lord God, that just reminds us of your love, your faithfulness, and your desires for us, Lord God. So would you just open our hearts right now and our minds to receive everything that the Holy Spirit has for us. Bless this time, we pray, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. Would it be safe to say to you guys, God is faithful? Is he going to pull off everything he said he was going to do? Are you trusting in the word of God? Are you trusting in the promises of God? You know, I encourage you to do a little study on the promises of God and the faithfulness of God, and it will blow your mind. God is going to perform everything he promised, and he's faithful to get us to the finish line. We're going to look at some challenges today that we have when we deal with unreasonable and wicked people. We, we, we know that that's part of living in this world. You're going to have unreasonable people in your life. But he's also going to show us how faithful he is to protect us, to guard us, to be there for us, to make sure that he gets us to the finish line. He never promised that we wouldn't have tribulation. He said, you're going to have tribulation in this world. We're, we're going to be persecuted. Christians are being persecuted. More Christians have been murdered in the last century than the entire 2,000 years of the church. So it's out there. But greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. And we have Jesus in us. That means 
we have the hope and the glory. And we're looking for his coming in the clouds. So as we looked all through 1 Thessalonians, Paul, with his encouragements and his prayers, was sharing that Jesus is coming soon and that you and I aren't appointed to wrath. We're not going to see the tribulation. And then when we got to 2 Thessalonians, it dealt with the second coming. That you and I are going to be caught up in the clouds. The world will go through a tribulation period, the seven-year tribulation period. And then Jesus is going to return with his saints. And we're going to be riding white horses. And we're going to see Jesus put down the enemy on the earth at the end of the tribulation. And we're going to see him touch down on the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives split in two, and the water to come up from under the altar and go out to the Mediterranean Sea and to the Dead Sea. And we're going to just see this great healing just go move like a virus around the world. And we're going to see the earth as it was intended to be. And then he's going to rule with a rod of iron. And it's going to be amazing. And we're going to rule and reign with them. So cool. So I know we went through a lot of hard stuff the last three weeks, looking at things that are just downright scary. And, but the good news is we're not going to be in the tribulation. God has not appointed us to wrath. He's appointed us to salvation. Not the tribulation, but to salvation. And so as we come to this portion of Scripture now, he's saying, he, he goes, he, he's, he, he's trying to encourage them, but he's also asking for prayer. You know, prayer is super powerful. Did you know that? And we, I think we underestimate how powerful prayer is, and I don't think we realize that a lot more things would happen in our life if we prayed a lot more. I mean, I could go to church on a regular basis. I could go to the mission field. I could read my Bible. I can watch Christian movies. I can listen to sermons for hours and hours and hours, but... What's my prayer life like? So busy serving the king, I forget to spend time with the king. And how important prayer is in your life. Prayer gets stuff done. You have not because you ask not. In Revelation, it says that the, the elders are holding bowls with the prayers of the saints. Maybe you just need one more prayer to spill out that blessing. Prayer is so powerful. You know, I look in the Bible and I see, I see the prayers of the saints dispatching angels. I see the saints pray and Gabriel gets sent. I see the saints pray and Michael gets sent. I, I, I picture just a bunch of big dog angels up there just like, ah, ah, come on, you guys, pray. Let's go. But I think probably our most important Popular prayer is the food prayer, which is great. Should give thanks for our food, right? I know you guys pray for your food. Throw me in that prayer. That no, I, I'll know that I'm getting prayed for three times a day. But I wonder how many of those angels are up there, and they're just like waiting for the, just the big event to take place, waiting for that prayer. And then they go, oh, it's just a food prayer. Can you just see them, Gabriel, Michael, and the others, just ready to be dispatched? Oh, look, they're getting together. They're getting together. Look at their prayer. Oh, here it comes. Here it comes. Here. Food prayer. <laughs> I 
Prayer gets stuff done. You say, Pastor Steve, I, I pray all the time, but God doesn't answer my prayers. Yes, he does. He answers them every single time. He says yes, he says no, or he says not now. Are you okay with that? I think he knows what we need better than we know. I've prayed for stuff he didn't give me, and years down the road, I realized if he would have gave it to me, I would have been in trouble. But in the moment, sometimes we're blinded to what we really want and what we really need, and we just think we got it all figured out, and he's like, no, I'm not doing that for you. That's not going to work out good for you. And the more we become okay with that, the more we become okay with God answering our prayers, either yes, no, or not now, the better off we're going we're gonna to get along in this world. The better, better off we'll get in life and, and be able to deal with our troubles and, and our persecutions. I, I'll tell you what, I deal with tribulation a lot better than I used to. Because I could just like take what I'm going through, hand it to him, lay it at his feet, and go, it's your problem. Because I know his desires for me are good, and he's going to finish the good work that he started. And I know that if he allows a trial in my life, it's for my benefit. That he'll take me someplace that I won't go on my own to get something done that I never would have done. To further the kingdom, to further the gospel, to bless somebody, and to be blessed myself and to be strengthened. Prayer is so powerful. Paul knew the power that comes from the saints praying. If we're a praying church, we're going to see great power. But we've got to be a praying church. Talk to God all day long. He says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. Isn't that our prayer? I want the gospel to go out swiftly. I want to see people getting saved. I want to see the Holy Spirit just brood over the North Shore and the gospel to go out and be glorified and just hit everybody in Kilauea, everybody in Princeville, everybody in Hanalei, everybody in Wainiha, Hyena, Anahola, and just, just go out to the west side, the south shore, and see Jesus just take this island for His glory. And to just hear the world say something's happening on Kauai. The power of God, Holy Spirit, people yielding themselves to the Holy Spirit. Are you yielding yourself to the Holy Spirit or are you still getting in the way? God wants to do great things through you. But you got to die to your flesh. You got to pick up your cross and follow after him. When we yield ourselves to God, He can use us in a mighty way. It may not be the way we thought He was going to use us. It may not be what we want, but He does it, and He does it with power, and He gets the job done, and afterwards we go, oh, that's what you were doing. And so our prayer, we need to be praying for the North Shore that the gospel will go out swiftly and be glorified, that Jesus' name would be high and lifted up. And Paul's saying this, he's asking this because he's seen it. This is, he, he says, just as it is with you, Thessalonians. Paul was there for three weeks. That was it. And the church blew up into this huge thing. The whole city was turning out. 
in just three weeks. And then he got run out of town by unreasonable and wicked men. But the gospel stuck. And the power of God was moving in just three weeks. A church was established and leaders were appointed. Why? Because there was just so much evidence of the Holy Spirit moving. Is there evidence of the Holy Spirit moving in your life? It'll be defined by love. Prayer. In verse 2 he says, part of his prayer is that we would be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men and women. For not all have faith. Wow. Listen, if you're going to live for Jesus and you're going to share the gospel, you're going to have opposition, right? The opposition we face here is nothing like they face in third world countries where they're giving their life for Jesus Christ. They're being thrown in prison for Jesus Christ. They're being beheaded. But you're going to run into unreasonable and wicked men. And that might even be at your family gatherings coming Christmas. There's always someone in your family doesn't know Jesus yet. And you know you're going to be going toe-to-toe and they're going to have some things to say. You better know your Bible. You don't want to fight with them. You don't want to antagonize them. You want to give them truth. You want to reason with them. They're unreasonable. You want to be reasonable. Right? But how are you going to be reasonable and defend your faith if you don't know the Word of God? Paul was notorious for going into a city And the first thing he would do was he'd go to the Jews first, though he was sent to Gentiles. He would go to the Jews first, go into the synagogues and reason with them from the scriptures. And give the gospel. Now, some of you feel like you can't you don't know enough to share the gospel. Just give your testimony. It's great. I was an idiot. I got saved. You can too, right? And we're doing an evangelistic course here at the church, and those are great things. But I, w- I want to suggest to you that there's no cookie-cutter way to share the gospel. That you really need to know your audience, who you're speaking to. You need to say, Lord, fill me afresh, give me wisdom to talk to this person before you talk to the person. You see him coming. You're like, Lord, help me out. Give me an open door to share the gospel. What does this person need to hear? Because you're going to find that there's something that every single person needs a little different to hear as you prepare the truth and you share the truth. They need something that's going to ready them for the truth. And Paul understood that. See, Paul knew he couldn't go into the synagogues and go, Jesus is the Son of God. He died for my sins. I asked for forgiveness, and now I'm born again, and I'm going to live forever. I got saved. You should too. They'd go, get out of here. What are you talking about? Well, good for you. Well, what's the proof that he's the Son of God? Right? 
So how was Paul going to reach a Jew for Jesus Christ? There's only one way. You've got to know the Old Testament. But it doesn't say Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. I know. But you can't take a Jew to the New Testament and go, hey, look, I'll show you proof. Let's just turn to the Gospels. And they're going to go, no. Let's go to Peter's right. They're not going to accept any of that. You've got to take them through the Scriptures. You've got to show them. There's a trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, right in Genesis. Because here's the thing, the Jews don't believe the Messiah is going to be the Son of God. They believe it will be a great man like Moses. Jesus said, I came in my own name, you receive me not, another will come in his name, and you're going to receive him, and he'll be a man. But the Bible teaches us a trinity, one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's right there in Genesis 1.1. Elohim. El is singular, Elo is dual, Elohim is plural. And then in 126, God says, let us make man in our image. And you say to the Jew, who's, who's he talking to? And they'll say, angels. No. Because the very next verse says, and God made man in the image of God. So he was talking to the Godhead. We weren't made in the image of angels. And Jesus didn't die for angels. He died for you and me. We were made in the image of God. But you've got to be able to know your, your Old Testament. You take a Jewish person to Psalm 22. It's the crucifixion. You just, and you, you don't even try to indoctrinate him. You just read it and you go, who's that talking about? You take him to Isaiah 53. And man, it's, it's about the crucifixion. It's about him dying for our sins. It, he, he was wounded for our transgressions. By his stripes we were healed. And it talks about this one who would die for the sins of the world. And, and you ask a Jew, well, who does that describe? And they say, oh, that's Israel. No, it's not. Israel didn't die for my sins. Israel can't die for my sins. It's Jesus. And I think probably one that Paul used was Daniel 9, the 70 weeks of Daniel, that prophecy, because that one's time-sensitive. That was a prophecy that from the decree of the going out of the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the walls and the temple and the coming of the Messiah would be 69 weeks. The 70th week of Daniel is that final seven-year period that deals with Israel and a Christ-rejecting world called the Tribulation. That's the 70th week of Daniel. But in Daniel, he says something that's so unique. He describes the rebuilding of Jerusalem. He describes this time period that the Messiah would come and be killed. And that from the time of the decree going out, that 483 years to the day, the Messiah would ride into Jerusalem. So Daniel had it so nailed down because God is always right. That by the time Artaxerxes gave the decree to start building, 
it was exactly 173,880 days to the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. We called it the triumphal entry. And the same crowd that cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, three days later, cried, crucify him, crucify him. It said he wept over the city and said, if they would have known this thy day, what day? The day that Daniel was talking about. And when you read Daniel 9 to a Jewish person, you don't even have to say Jesus' name. You just say, who in history does that describe? Well, it only describes one because it's time-sensitive. And Jesus was the only one that rode in on that day, fulfilling that passage. He says, pray that we're delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. You ever just had someone in your life that was just downright wicked? I mean, went out of their way to make your life miserable? Paul dealt with that all the time, didn't he? I mean, everywhere he went, they'd beat the tar out of him. They'd whip him. They'd throw rocks at him. They'd run him out of town. They'd throw him in prison with a beating, beating and prison, bonus. And how many times have we seen Christians killed in our lifetime from wicked men who don't know the Lord and serve their own bellies. So you got to ask yourself, why are there unreasonable and wicked men today? Well, that verse tells us, for not all have faith. You're not going to be wicked. You're not going to be unreasonable having faith. Haven't you changed? You guys have really come a long ways. And some of you I know have come a really long ways. There was a time when someone would mouth off you, you just punch them. You don't do that now. You think about it. But you're like, okay, Lord, help me to love this guy right now. You've changed. You don't talk like you used to. You used to have a filthy mouth. Now you want to honor the Lord with pure, encouraging words. So what's one way to deal with unreasonable and wicked men? Share the gospel, because if they get saved, guess what? They won't be unreasonable and wicked anymore. If it's a true transformation, right? Paul went from a Christian killer to a lover of God and a lover for the flock. And even when guys would beat the tar out of them, he'd still pray for them. Right? Remember when he got stoned in Lystra? Not loaded, but stoned. They dragged him out, left him for dead. He got a glimpse of heaven. God brought him back to life. He got right back up and went in the city. I don't know if it was to finish the job or give him another shot at it. I love these people. Um, Jesus so loved the world that he gave his life for the world. But the world won't be saved by his love. You've got to respond to his love. Do you love the lost? 
do you have a love for the lost? Can you look at a lost person and just know they're lost and go, I got to go talk to them? Or are you too busy? Let me, before I read verse 3, let me just kind of back it up to verse 2 and get a run at it because I think this is so good. He says, verse 2, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. Isn't that good? In light of everything we just said, but the Lord is faithful. Steve's not faithful. I'm working on him. Get better. But I know the Lord's faithful, and if he tells me he's going to do something and I feel it, I know he's going to do it. That's why I have no problem with heaven. I'm, I'm so ready. And I'm ready to do whatever i got to do down here for him. God is faithful. Verse 3, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Can I get an amen? He will establish you. What does that mean? He's going to root you and he's going to ground you. You're going to be like a tree firmly planted. You're not going to be rocked. You're not going to be moved by the world. You're not going to be moved by the wicked. You're not going to be moved by the unreasonable because you're standing on the rock. (coughs) And when you're standing with Jesus, that's real power. And he guards you from the evil. And he doesn't guard you from persecution and tribulation. Got to understand that, right? This is Paul. He's saying God's going to guard you from the evil one. God's going to see you through. That's what he's trying to say. Because remember, right before Paul was in Thessalonica, he was where? Philippi. Where they beat the tar out of him and Silas. Threw him down into the, the lowest prison cell down where the sewage was. They were probably sitting in sewage. They were locked in stocks. And what were, were, were they all bummed out? No, at midnight, I mean, they're up at midnight talking. Paul looks over at Silas and goes, hey, you want to sing a song? Let's sing some worship, bro. And Silas is like, what do you want to sing? I don't know. How about, how great is our God? That's a good one. They start singing. God hears from above taps his foot, earthquake, an intelligent earthquake, it shakes everything, but the only thing, only damage is it knocks all the chains off the prisoners and opens all the cell doors. <laughs> the prison keeper's ready to kill himself because if anybody gets away, they'll put him to death or torture him and throw him in jail for life. So he's ready to take his life. Paul says, don't do it. We're all here. That's a move of the Holy Spirit. When the prison cells are open and the prisoners don't run off, that's a move of the Holy Spirit. And and the Philippian jailer goes, what must I do to be saved? Come on, make it easy for me, right? Somebody just comes up to you and goes, how do I get saved? And he leads them to Christ and his whole family. And i got to thank that whole prison. And I think when Paul witnessed that, he said, you know what, Silas, that beating was okay. Because look what happened. Is the beating that you're going through right now okay because it's going to fall out to the furthering of the gospel? 
the suffering that you're enduring right now? Are you okay with that? Because if you're living for Jesus, you can understand that this trial that you're in is for the furthering of the gospel. For the strengthening of your own personal walk. God has a way of guarding us from the evil one. A great example of this is Numbers 22. In Numbers 22, is the story of Balaam and Balak. You guys remember that story? Okay, maybe you, maybe you remember the talking donkey. Not Shrek, but the talking donkey that talked to Balaam, right? And as, it's, it's kind of weird because, you know, what blows me away is not so much the donkey speaking and communicating with a human voice to another human, but it's the fact that Balaam doesn't even bat an eye. He's having an argument with a donkey. I'm like, dude, that should be a red flag. Jesus is doing something, right? So Balaam is this guy who has a gift of being able to pronounce blessings or curses, and they happen. So if he comes up and he says, Brother Lawrence, blessings upon you. It happened. And then if he goes, so-and-so, curse you, you're like, ah. Balak, the king of Moab, gets together with the Midianites and is all worried because the children of Israel are moving through the land and they're taking all the enemy's land. They're wiping out the enemy. God promised them this land. God gave them strength and power. They were walking in God's will. They were trusting in God. And as they were moving, they were taking out the enemy left and right, and they were getting huge. There was, there was millions of them. And the king of Moab, Balak, is all worried, and he's like, sends guys to Balaam and says, bring him to me that he would curse the children of Israel, that we would be able to drive them away. And so these guys come to Balaam, and, and, and they say, listen, you know what, we can do a lot for you if you just come and talk to Balak and, and pronounce a curse and drive these Israelites away. And Balaam goes, well, stay here tonight, and I'm going to pray tonight, and the Lord will share with me what I should do. And so the Lord meets Balaam in the evening and he says, uh, don't go with him. So he, in the morning he says, the Lord said, I can't go. So they go back, tell Balak. Balak's all upset. He sends like more high uppers, more honorable princes and, and riches and stuff and, and comes back and they, they say the same thing, you know. The king says he's going to give you high honor and he's going to give you riches and everything, you know, if you come do this thing. And he says, well, spend the night and you know, I'll seek the Lord tonight and he'll come to me and tell me what to do. And so he meets with the Lord that night and the Lord says, uh, don't say anything that I don't tell you to say. And, and so he comes back and he goes, I can't do this. Lord won't let me do that. And, uh, and then, he, then he throws this out there. He goes, even if you gave me a whole house full of gold and silver, hint, hint, I couldn't do it. So they go back and they tell Balak he's upset. He sends more guys. He tries one more time. Balaam meets with God, and, and God at this point says, when you go with them, make sure you don't say anything I didn't tell you to say. And then the very next verse, it says that he saddled his donkey and he took off to go with them, and the Lord's anger was kindled. And you're kind of like, what was that all about? What it was all about was God already knew in his heart that he was going to go no matter what God said. So God says, when you go with them. See, you have free will. Did you know that? So God's, gonna, God's telling you, do this or don't do that. 
And he's looking at you going, they're going to do what they want to do. So he gets on this donkey and he starts heading out to go to Balak. And he comes to this place and this angel draws his sword. It's the angel of the Lord. I believe it's Jesus Christ. Balaam doesn't see it. The donkey sees it. And the donkey just goes, whoop, goes to the right, you know, into the field. Balaam hits the donkey, curses at him, you know, and, you know, get back on the road. And so they get back on the road. They come to a vineyard. There's a wall on one side, a wall on the other side. Angel of the Lord appears, draws his sword, ready to kill Balaam. And Balaam doesn't see it. Only the donkey sees it. And the donkey just like goes into the wall and crushes Balaam's foot. He gets mad, hits the donkey again. Then they go a little bit further and they come to a place that's so narrow that he can't turn to the right or to the left. And the angel of the Lord draws his sword and the donkey just sits down. He hits the donkey. And the donkey turns around and goes, why are you hitting me? Haven't I always been good to you? And he gets in an argument with the donkey. And he's like, dude, are you kidding me? You're disobeying me? I can't believe you're doing this. If I had a sword in my head right now, you'd be dead. And the donkey's like, haven't I always been good ever since you've had me? I've always done whatever you wanted. And then God opened up his eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing there. And the angel of the Lord said, if it wasn't for that donkey, I would have killed you and let her live. And he falls on his face and repents and he says, what do you want me to do? So he says, go, but don't say anything that I'm not telling you to say. And so he goes, and Balak takes him up to a high mountain to show him Israel camping down in the valley. And if you know anything about the order that they camped, they camped in the shape of a cross. So he's looking down at this big cross. He says, okay, all right, curse him. You're going to be rich. So he's like, all right. And he wants that money, right? So he gets up and he's ready to curse him and blessings. He's trying to curse him. Blessings. And Balak gets so upset. He goes, what are you doing? He goes, I, 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 can't, I can't help it. So he goes, all right, let's go to this other spot. And he comes to the other spot. And he goes, look, we'll just look at some of them. Let's work on this group right here. He goes, you ready? And he goes, yeah. Blessings. And it happens over and over. And finally, Balak says, I give up. Here's my point. Balaam says, you're never going to defeat them on the outside. You will never defeat them from the out. You can only defeat them from the in. They're in the will of God. They're faithful. They're not worshiping any other gods. They're keeping his commandments. He's protecting them. He's flourishing them. He's, he's empowering them to take the enemy. There's only one way you're going to defeat them, and that's from within. So he says to him, he goes, now get your, your women, your Moabite women, the hot ones. Send them down in the camp with their gods. Infiltrate the camps. They'll take them into the tents, commit sexual immorality, start worshiping false gods, and then God has to deal with them. Isn't that what he does in our life? Because to those whom he loves, he rebukes and chastens. If you start to stray away, he'll take you to the woodshed because he loves you. He's able to 
guard us from the evil one. When we're in the will of God, we are so much more protected than when we're living in the world and loving Jesus. Because there's chinks in our armor when we're living in our flesh. How do I know? The book of Job. Satan goes, he's all upset. He's just frothing at the mouth. He's been traveling to and fro on the planet Earth. He's upset. And, and God says, have you considered my servant Job? And he goes, yeah, I have, but you blessed him so much. Why wouldn't he love you? You got this hedge of protection. I can't even get to him. Oh, boy, do I want one of those. Because when I start disobeying God and living in my flesh, my hedge of protection starts getting holes. When we're living for God, no matter what you go through, no matter what kind of persecution you go through, they can't take your faith from you. God will guard you from the evil one. And verse 4 says, And when we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. It's not enough for a pastor just to preach the truths of God. But I want to look out and say, I know you guys are going to do what the Word says. I want to have confidence that you're here because you really want to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. I, I, want, to, I want to be praying for growth in your life. For God to use you in a mighty and powerful way. And then we finish with verse 5. Now may the Lord direct your hearts in the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Is that good or what? What's directing your heart today? Is it Jesus? If it is, man, I'll tell you what, you are going to be blessed. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Are you patient? <laughs> I know the running joke we all say it. We don't pray for patience anymore. Why? Because God gives us an opportunity to exercise patience. Lord, give me patience without a trial. But hasn't God been so patient with you? How can you not be patient with others that drive you nuts? How many times did you drive God nuts? But you know what? It's also, it says here, the, the patience of Christ. And, and it's referring to like patience because Jesus is coming soon. Are you patient? Are you about the Father's business waiting for Jesus to come? Let me close with this. I was up early in the middle of the night this week, and I was just, and you've probably done this, I'm just crying out to God, Abba, send your son. I'm so over everything. I'm so over what I'm witnessing in the world. Send your son. And I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, I felt the Lord speak to me, not in an audible voice, but it was so clear that I started to weep and ask for forgiveness for what I asked for. Because he made it really clear to me, I still have a lot that I want to come to me first. And I said, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Forgive me. 
Once again, I thought I knew better. We got a job to do. Listen, how, how would this be if God was going to use you to lead the last person to the Lord before the rapture? And I found out it was you. I'd be after you real quick. Let's get this party started. God loves you. His desires for you are good. The Lord is faithful and patient. Amen. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, thank you for just the reminder today of your love, your grace, your patience. Lord, we uh, come to you humbly as a people desiring to be used by you. Holy Spirit, fill us afresh as we go out. Lord, that we be just a living testimony of you, a light that shines bright for your glory. Lord, we pray for opportunity today. And Lord, would you just strengthen us with a strength like we've never had and give us a hunger for your word like we've never had. And Lord, if there's anybody here today or listening online right now that doesn't know you, Lord, we just pray right now that that person would say, Jesus, I believe you're who you are. I believe you died for me, rose again on the third day. You paid the price for my sins. I ask you for forgiveness right now and ask you to save me in Jesus' name. Lord, I just pray that that's, that prayer was something that many people said, even those that are just out there listening. And Lord, we look forward to what you're going to do, and we thank you ahead of time for everything. For you are a great and mighty God, so full of love, so full of grace, and so full of patience. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.